podcast is part of the Sports Social Podcast Network. The dream is made real. Ricky Howard rocks the world. How do you like it? How do you like it? I wish I was 50 years younger and I'd kick your ass. It's over. Mamma mia, he's done it. Anthony Joshua defeats Vladimir Klitschko. Uh. Welcome back to BTR Boxing Podcast Network. I am your host, Sean, and delighted to be rejoined on the podcast by Johnston after a long Christmas period. It felt like forever that the Christmas period was going on, and we're now into the new year, and we've had the first significant fight of the year with O'Hara Davis getting dramatically stopped in the first round by Ishmael Barroso. A lot of humble pie being eaten by many people, including myself, Jamie, of course, who was on the preview, who both of us thought O'Hara Davis was going to win this one. And yet, Ishmael Barroso just proved to the world that age ain't nothing but a number. He certainly did a number on O'Hara Davis this past weekend. So we are going to talk about that in this reaction show. We are going to talk about the return of Virgil Ortiz as well. Interesting return for him and controversy that surrounded the end of that particular fight. And then there is also some news with Joshua fighting Francis Ngannou. It's been confirmed. We mentioned it on the show last week that there was talk of him fighting Hergovic or Zang or maybe Ngannou. And it actually has been confirmed that he's now fighting Francis Ngannou in March, which is crazy. But we are going to talk about it a little bit later on in the show. But Johnston, welcome back. Happy New Year. And welcome back to another year of craziness in this sport. And it all starts with O'Hara Davis daring to be great but just not being good enough against a 40-year-old Ishmael Barroso. Yeah, uh, well, yeah, happy new year to everyone. Great to be back on the show. Uh, but yeah, um, certainly uh, a turn up for the books, that one. I really wasn't expecting it. A lot like yourself, Sean and Jamie both predicted that this would go to the points decision and O'Hara would get through it. Um, absolute shamble of a prediction from the three of us. Um, you'd think we don't know what the hell we're talking about, wouldn't you? But... <laughs> No, it's it's just boxing in it. I mean, Barroso was a big puncher, um, and he found a shot. It was, it was a beauty of a shot, and uh, you know, O'Hara Davis got caught. He's leaned in, got got his chin absolutely wobbled. Legs went, legs just did never recover, and it was always just a matter of time before he cleaned him out. And yeah, not a good showing for O'Hara Davis. He must be absolutely gutted. Um, I mean, he's not one of the fan favourites, to be fair, with some of the stuff he's come out with in his career. And I'm guessing quite a few people would have quite enjoyed seeing that. But it's interesting, isn't it? I mean, we, I, I felt it before. I probably overlooked Barroso. You know, the power never leaves you. And O'Hara Davis should have known that. I mean, his knockout statistics are there. You can see it for yourself. You can go and watch the highlight reel. Barroso can whack. And to be so exposed to what he done there, Sean, that's just, it's, it's a schoolboy error. It is a schoolboy error from an established professional He's made a huge mistake, and now, well, I mean, where does he go from here, mate? That's the problem, isn't it? Like, his world title aspirations for him, these were the aspirations that effectively you needed to get through Barroso to get a shot at that WBA championship against Romero. Effectively, that defeat, to me, spells the end of those said world title aspirations because I can't see how he will be able to get himself involved in a world title fight or close to a world title fight again in a 
highly competitive division. I mean, Johnston, we were talking about this previously when we talked about the original preview yeah. for the Davis fight, and we talked about how competitive the division is at the moment and how, you know, people like Jack Catterall, who was an uncrowned champion, was getting overlooked ahead of people like O'Hara Davis, who'd really not done anything significant as of recent times to really justify being in the position that he was in. And Jamie mentioned the same thing in the preview. You'd like to think now with that, his world fans are over because for me, there's no logical route for him to to get back to that level unless his team are able to secure him a fight against a big name who he then goes on to defeat. And the reason I say that, guys, is because I've seen O'Hara. He's been very active on social, strangely enough, since the defeat, you know, apologizing for the defeat and how he made a mistake. And he has actually stated he'd like to fight Jose Ramirez and, and Regis Progre, which I find, you know, it's a, it's a bit of a reach for him because if he can't get past Barroso at this stage of his career, then how is he going to expect to get past people like Ramirez and Regis Progre? For me, that's... That's a man that kind of knows he's, his chance has been and gone. I just don't think he'll get that opportunity again. And like you rightly pointed out, Johnston, he made a mistake and he paid for it. And he paid for it big time against a big puncher. And I wrote Barroso off, I'll be honest. I, I, I kind of wrote him off. I knew, he's, I knew his power was there. I knew it would be a problem for Davis, possibly at some point of the fight. I just didn't genuinely expect Davis to fall into that trap so quickly in the fight whereby he got absolutely rocked to his core and and it was the beginning of the end for him so are you kind of in the agreement with me that this is kind of it for O'Hara Davis at world level how is he going to get another opportunity yeah it's do you know what it's it for me it's it's a difficult one where where does he go from here It, it is a very Difficult situation for him. I mean, he can say, I suppose he can say, look, I've made a mistake. I've got caught and I've paid. Um, it happens in boxing, especially against big punchers. He should have been a lot more, you know, he should have tucked his chin in. And there's so many things he did wrong within a matter, in a space of seconds. <laughs> that's that's not that's not clear. If anything, with someone like a Barossa, you need to take him into the second half of the fight. You need to fight smart, even if you give away rounds at times. You know, you've got to tuck your chin in. I mean, that's that's as clear as day. Um, Barroso's gonna. The only way he won that fight was by landing a big shot, and that's what he done. He done it very early, though. We, nobody, I don't care who they say that. I mean, people could say they picked Barroso, and and I'd yeah, I'd believe them. But there's no way anyone picked Barroso within that quick in the first round. No one, nobody. I don't care who you are, and if you do say you did, you chatting shit. Um, but look, he's he's only thirty one. Um. Does he want to stick around? I mean, he's made a mistake. He wants, he's back out on social media, as you say. I suppose, give him his due. I mean, he's, he's a European-level fighter. Um, Barroso, I mean, a 40, the, the challenge is that he's 40 years old. But he is a big puncher. I mean, you can't beat Barroso, though, as long as you do the right things. He didn't do it. So, it's tricky. It really is. I, I just don't know where he goes. I think it's well-title aspirations, as you say, Sean. I think they're over. I think O'Hara Davis, unless... He can go on another run like he was on. He was on a good run. And I think that's why we all thought, do you know what? He's been he's been performing well. He's looking good. So hopefully he will um he could have produced the goods and got the Romero fight. He didn't get it. Uh it's all gone Pete Tong for him. And it's back to the drawing board. But I think, yeah, he's he needs a couple of fights. If he wants to stay in the game, cut the fights, get his confidence back. And I mean, calling out the big names like that, uh he's off his head because um if Regis Progray caught him, it would be over in a flash as well. A lot like Barroso. So he needs to be looking a bit further down. 
the chain and um, just build his career back, I suppose. And then hopefully, as I say, just string a few wins together and he might get himself another shot at uh, an elimination bout at some point. But that's down to him. He needs to just go back to the gym and, and work on his basics and fundamentals because if you don't get them right, you're not going nowhere. Well, let's talk about Moroso then. You know, the guy that really didn't get the credit, the guy that was overlooked, the guy that made the fight just straightforward for himself by getting a great victory like that. And it just also puts him in the position now as a WBA interim champion to fight, of course, Romero, who at the moment is injured, but his attentions seem to be very much focused on a certain Ryan Garcia, who seems to be trying to jump ahead of the queue by getting that fight with Roley Romero for the WBA title. Now, for me, I understand why that fight could be made because there is a lot of money in it in America. Ryan Garcia, despite what people think about him, he brings money to the table. He brings eyeballs onto the sport. Whether you like him or you don't, he does do that. So if you're a promoter and a matchmaker and a manager, you are ideally looking at a position where you can earn lots of money. And this was a conversation we had early in December about you know, if O'Hara was to beat Barroso, yeah. does he take the step aside money? Because it'd probably be good money for Garcia to take the Romero fight. Now we're in a position where Barroso won the fight. Does Barroso take that step aside money at 40 years old? Or does he want to go on and at 40 years old have that hunger and desire to capture the WBA crown? I, I think he does. I genuinely think he does. I genuinely can't see a character like Barroso just wanting to take step aside money for the sake of it. But I can also see him getting shafted. And I can also see Ryan Garcia getting that fight before Barroso does, which would be quite unfair given the time on Barroso's clock is ticking down ever so quickly with his age. His power's still there. But how long is he going to stick around for now at this point before he gets his shot at the title? I, I'm, I'm, I'm concerned that Ryan Garcia will jump the queue and get that fight. I understand why, if it was made, why they would do it, because it's, there's money in it. Of course, there's a lot of money in it. If Ishmael Barroso is happy to step aside and he takes a really good check of money to go along with that, then fair enough. You know, you're 40 years old, you're coming towards the end of your career, someone presents you with a big wad of cash and says, you know what, step aside, you will get your world title fight but it'll be after the fight between Garcia and Romero. At 40 years old, are you going to do it? Well, some people might say, absolutely. Why Why not? Why not let these two younger guys beat the shit out of each other and I'll just step in at 41 years old and maybe I've, I've got a good chance because I can really hurt somebody with my punch. So, you know, there's different variables as yeah. to how this can go now. I just think that if I'm Barroso now, it was different when I was thinking about Davis because when it was... In Davis's favour, with his age, there's a chance that, you know, he, he will get that fight. He's still be young enough to beat those guys put in front of him. But I think with Barroso, he's he's a lot older and you think he's coming towards the end of his career. He pulls off a performance like that. He feels like he's been robbed in the Romero fight and he wants to avenge that. He's certainly got the passion by the sounds of it to want to wanna go on to achieve and become a champion again. So for me... I can see Garcia getting this fight. It's not right if it happens. 
but I can see him getting it and I can see him Barroso either taking step aside money or politically being manoeuvred out of the position to be the contender for that championship. It really wouldn't surprise me if that's what happens. No, it wouldn't surprise me. And, and after Barroso's performance, I mean, look, uh, whether they feel, you know, Romero or Garcia feel that they could do that to O'Hara Davis, I'm not saying they couldn't. I still think Romero is, he's the one with a target on his back and I can see why Garcia is wanting to, to, to force his way in front to take that fight because I feel like he will, it, you know, he's definitely got the ability to beat Romero. You know, he's definitely the weakest of the champions for me personally. Um, and, and Barroso, look, he was unfortunate against against Romero. Very, very unfortunate to, to not win that world title. So as you say, four years old, will he want that money? Sort of step aside and wait for a, a world title shot. You know what? I think he's. I don't think he's going to have any other choice. I, I think if, he's just going to have to accept it um, and take that money, and and he can just sit in the crowd and watch that fight. And then, as you say, you know, hopefully they kick two ten bags of shit out of each other, and he can come in and land one on one of them. And you know, with a guy of his punching power, he's more than capable of uh, landing something. And um, you know, if, and that'll be his last chance. I mean, he, he's forced his way into his position and. And I just don't think the Barroso-Romero fight's going to sell as much. I don't think it's really going to do the numbers that Garcia-Romero does. You know, you can imagine all the, the build-up to the fight. There's going to be a lot of trash talk. There's going to be a lot of interest in it. And, and that will that'll probably transcend beyond the boxing fans. That'll probably transcend into the to the to the YouTubers, if you like. Because I know he, he does a bit on YouTube as well. Randomly, uh, watching one of... My son was watching something on YouTube and Ryan Garcia appeared. So um, that's the level of exposure that he, he he obviously wants to go out into that world as well, and and he's getting those racking those numbers up for for the YouTubers. Um, so look, it's there, mate. Um, I, as you say, Sean, I think Barroso's got no choice. Going to take the money, and then um, it's just going to be a matter of because before he won, it's his last chance. And you know what? You hope you really do. You hope that he does get the opportunity. He knocks one of them out. It'd be amazing. Yeah, it would, wouldn't it? It'd be like the uh, yeah. the underdog story you didn't know you needed. That is exactly what the Barroso story would be. I will say as well, with Barroso being where he's at at the moment and with him having that really good victory over O'Hara Davis, that also makes me look at a certain performance by Anthony Crawler in 2016 and it makes that fight and it makes that win for Crawler age really, really well, given that Crawler wasn't... He wasn't ever a big puncher. He, in his own words, he was an overachiever in this sport. And to stop Barroso like he did in seven rounds with a body shot in 2016, it just makes that that win look so much greater over Barroso for Crawler, given that where Barroso is at now and he's still challenging for a title. Like it's it's crazy, really, how how the boxing world can work at times. So, guys, that was the Barroso fight against O'Hara Davis. The other fight of interest, which we mentioned in the preview, myself and Jamie, was, of course, the return of Virgil Ortiz Jr. against Frederick Lawson. This was a strange affair. Strange in the sense that it ended again in the first round, as did Davis versus Barroso. But it was the way in which it ended, which had a lot of people questioning the referee Tony Weeks because he was the same referee in the Barroso-Romero fight where seemingly Barroso was absolutely in no trouble, was shipping a lot of the punches on his arms and his gloves, but yet Tony Weeks stopped that fight. This was a similar situation. If you haven't seen it, please go back and watch it. But Ortiz Jr. catches Lawson with a straight shot. He rocks him back. Ortiz goes in, starts laying the punches on him. A lot of them are being defended by 
arms, elbows and gloves. Tony Weeks steps in, gives the win to Virgil Ortiz Jr. And everybody's questioning Tony Weeks as a referee. But in the last 24 hours, given all the criticism and backlash online, Tony Weeks has literally had to come out and make his own statement about what really happened and, and information that wasn't known to the general public going into this fight. So Frederick Lawson, apparently he had a brain aneurysm. I can't remember exactly the date and, and when that happened, but what I read was that he'd had a brain aneurysm, he'd come up on his medical records, he'd done different medicals, eventually he was cleared, he was cleared by a doctor to fight, despite the fact he'd suffered a brain aneurysm previously. They were happy to allow him to get in the ring and what Tony Weeks saw in the ring and what his statement was along the lines of was that he knew about this going into the fight. He was aware of Lawson's medical history. And seeing him in that position that he was in, he felt like he had no option to stop that fight, to save that fighter. Now, this is one of those moral compass moments as a fan and, and obviously as the man in the middle officiating it. If you was a referee in theory and you knew this information about this fighter, despite the fact he had been cleared by one doctor to get in that ring against Virgil Ortiz Jr., surely logic says in your mind you would not let that fighter ship punches, despite the fact that Lawson was defending quite a few of them. He wasn't taking loads of clean shots in there, I must add that. So, as a referee, you're thinking... If you let one of those punches get through and something happens to Lawson, you're the one that's going to be held responsible as a referee for not stopping it. And that's the moral dilemma Tony Weeks must have had because he knew that information that we didn't. So whilst everybody was on the bandwagon criticising him for it, and I understand why, because from the outset, when you look at it without knowing that information, you're thinking that was a bit of a poor stoppage. And rightly so. But now you know that information, if you didn't know it already, guys, surely that compels you to side with Mr. Tony Weeks in the sense that he was protecting that fighter and that he wanted to ensure that that fighter didn't sustain any long-term lasting damage, which could have led to the untimely demise of Frederick Lawson. It's a difficult one because he wasn't shipping anything majorly clean and he was cleared by a doctor. So some might say, well, if he's been cleared... And he weren't really shipping full-on punches. Surely you should have allowed him to carry on. And if you had any suspicions going forward, you could have stopped it there and then. That maybe is the argument of some people. But I think for me, Johnston, my argument would be, if you know this information about this fighter and the history of this, given this sport and given how it only takes one punch to end a life... Surely you would have sided with Mr. Weeks in this instance. I mean, what what's your thoughts on this situation and the different perspectives that people are having on this? Yeah, I think firstly, I think I, I applaud Weeks for Tony Weeks for coming out um, and actually making a statement. Not many uh, officials do that, come out and, and feel that off their own back they need to come out and say something. Um, most of them are either told to not do that or, you know, they just tend not to do it. You know, if, if a bad decision goes away, you don't get it with judges. You see some terrible judges cards and they never come out and openly say the reasons and just, and, and openly admit it. So firstly, I'll credit him for that. Secondly, though, I would discredit him for the fact that if he knew this and he clearly felt uncomfortable about it, 
he probably should not have been the ref that night. I feel that if he knew this and in his mindset, he's like, well, if he ships anything, I'm stopping this fight. And so that is not a good, you know, you're in a contact sport. The last thing you need is a referee in there that's going to give it any, I mean, if Garcia had knocked him out, he'd have ended, knocked him down, he would have probably ended it because of his fear and his anxiety of this guy could potentially end up dead. And I don't want that on my hands. But then the flip side of it is he's been passed, he's passed the medical. You know, whatever his medical history is, doesn't necessarily mean that, you know, it, it's going to impact on this particular fight. He shouldn't have been passed. You know, although Weeks is an official and he's there to judge a fight, look after the fighters in a way, it's down to the medical staff and those that are paid and hired to assess them, the physicians that that check over these fighters and they're the ones that give them licenses. It's down to them. And then it's also down to that person. You know, if, he, if, if Weeks knew it, then surely his corner knew it and they're still sticking him in the ring. There's a lot more impacting on that. And it's almost like Weeks was put in a very uncomfortable position. And I believe he should have just turned around. I'm not discrediting. That's probably the word, worst thing to say. Not, not the right words to say, sorry. But he probably should have removed himself from it. If you knew that and you felt uncomfortable about it, which he clearly did, I think he probably should have said, look, let someone else referee this fight because I'm probably not uh, the best person to do so because if I find him in any trouble, I'm going to stop the fight. Um, but look, I mean, it was a premature stoppage. He wasn't. It was hitting him in the body. Uh, could he have continued? I think you got to look at the whole thing as well, Sean, didn't you? I mean, it's almost like, for me, Tony Weeks does not have faith in the medical staff that surround boxing because if he did have faith, he wouldn't have stopped to and he did. Well, he stopped the Romero and Barroso fight, didn't he? When seemingly Barroso... He did the same thing. He yeah. did the same yeah, thing. So, yeah. so yeah. yeah, I think it's it maybe it is an issue with him as a referee that, that maybe he has a concern or maybe he's overly concerned about the health of a fighter. And it's, it sounds mad to even say it, to be honest, because as a referee, you want to be concerned about the fighters. Your job is to protect them. Your job is to make sure that nobody gets hurt to the point where they could end up with life-changing injuries. I know that could happen at any one moment, but if they're there to officiate and they're there to also protect the fighters as well at the same time. So like you say, if he was in that position, he was in that mindset and he's done it previously, maybe you think to yourself, is this is this really what I want to be doing anymore? Is this really the right thing for me to be in if he's got anxieties? And, and we'll never know that because... You know, we're not Tony Weeks. We're not friends with him. We don't know him personally. You know, he's officiated many, many, many fights over the years and has always been a great referee. So to cast a bit of judgment over his decision-making process at this time, we're not really in that position to do so, but we can only really comment on what we've seen and, and, and how we've interpreted it as fans. So that's how we're interpreting it. It'd be interesting to know how other people have interpreted this. I've seen a lot of stuff on social media about the fact that you know, he shouldn't even be a referee anymore. And, you know, the same sort of stuff they were saying about Joe Cortez a few years ago and eventually he went and retired, of course. You know, these these guys are fantastic referees, but eventually it does come to a point where maybe their judgment starts to change. It starts to lapse. It's, they're not as good or as eagle-eyed as they once were as referees and age starts to catch up with them as a referee. So, you know, there are variables to that as well. But ultimately, it felt like, it took a little bit of a shine off the return of, of Virgil Ortiz at 154 because obviously we were talking a lot about this 
on the preview, myself and Jamie talking about how good is he going to be up at 154. And, you know, it's exciting, the prospects of him versus Tim Zhu. He's, he's, he's quite exciting and they've already exchanged on social media. They've spoke about it already on social media that they're both up for the fight. So, you know, it's exciting, but you didn't really get to see much of Virgil. You didn't really get to see, you know, if any of the issues that he's been having outside of the ring have been rectified. And that's what happens when you get a fight that ends early like this. And I made the comparison to Wilder a couple of weeks ago, of course. You know, he'd had one round in, what, 20-odd months, and he gets in with Parker, and Parker just bullies him and beats him around the ring. And this is the thing, you don't know the lasting impact and effect of certain things happening in that fighter's career. So I don't think we're yet to see it with Virgil, and I can't make a judgment on, is he back to his best until I see him again in the ring so I'm reserving judgment for that for a little while longer until I see him back in the ring again against a fighter with no clear medical history and issues that are going to yeah. cause that fight. Yeah, to... someone, someone absolutely fully fit that we can all say is absolutely fully fit. Exactly. I mean, he's 17 months as well. 17 months out there, it's a long layoff. Uh, I bet he was disappointed that he stopped early as well. I bet he wanted to bank in a few rounds. Obviously get the knockout, but at least get halfway through that fight. He must be disappointed as well, but... Yeah, I'm with you, Sean. I agree. He needs to uh, just get back out again as soon as he can, really. Uh, be active this year and, and then hopefully get in a fight or two before the Tim Zoo fight. But that, that is, I mean, belter. If you, yeah. you're talking about a wish list, that's, that's going to be up there with all, I think. What, what a fight that's going to be. Absolutely. Looking forward to hopefully seeing that one day. Well, just rounding up the rest of the notable results on that card before we talk about a little bit of the news that we mentioned at the start of the show. Arnold Barboza Jr., another rival in the Super Lightweight division, got a victory in eight rounds over his opponent on this card. He's looking for a big fight, of course. And then a fighter that Jamie mentioned on the show, Raul Curiel, got an eighth round TKO over Elias Diaz in their fight earlier on the card. So that was the card from the weekend, guys. And I wanted to address this with you, Johnston, the fact that we've now since seen Anthony Joshua's next fight being confirmed by Eddie Hearn, by Turkey Alal Sheikh, by Frank Warren even. And it is against Francis Ngannou, which is crazy to even think that a week ago when me and Jamie were doing a preview for Davis versus Barroso, we were talking about what Eddie Hearn had said in an interview with IFL where he'd said the possibilities are Hergovic, Zang and Nganu. And when you heard Nganu, you kind of laughed it off a little bit and thought, ah, oh, yeah, you know, I can understand that maybe down the line, but what we want to see is we want to see Hergovic or we want to see Zang. You know, we don't want to see, what do we want to see Nganu for? Well, lo and behold, that's what we're going to see next for Anthony Joshua. He fights Francis Nganu. I believe it is on that proposed March 9th date. I've also been reading that Deontay Wilder's put himself up there for a fight with Zile Zank. So, a couple of fights there to discuss, Johnston. Joshua versus Nganu. I mean, is it is it a bad fight? Is it a strange fight? It definitely is a strange fight. But Tyson Fury did it and had lots of problems with him in that fight. Is it a smart move from Joshua, his team, Eddie Hearn, to get Francis in the ring? Because... If Joshua was to go in there, and I'm not suggesting Joshua stops him, some might say he will, but if Joshua was to go in and absolutely bully him, beat him around the ring, just make it look so easy in a 10-round fight against Francis Ngannou, surely then people will start to go, well, hang on a minute. If Joshua can do that against Ngannou, and Fury couldn't do that against Ngannou, 
is there viability for this Joshua Fury fight to eventually happen, depending upon what happens in Fury versus Usyk? I got a feeling that's a little bit of a, a chess play from Joshua and his team and Eddie Hearn here, because the Saudis are willing to pay it to see it. They're happy to see it, clearly. They're happy to, to throw the money at everybody to do that. But I also think, like, from a business perspective, they're looking at that as if, well, you know, Joshua's had three wins on the bounce now. He's looking as good as he did a few years ago. If he gets another really good victory against Francis, then does that put him in a good stead and in with a great argument going forward that if Tyson Fury was, in theory, to win, or even if he was to lose against Suzik, does that make the Joshua Fury fight viable again later down the line? Yeah, I think it's it's actually not a bad move. Um, it, it sort of it is a good move, and then you sort of worry because you know Engano he's earned a lot of credibility from his performance against Tyson Fury because of the performance he put in. You know, he put him down, and and some people felt that you know he probably edged the fight. Some people felt like he won it. So I suppose looking at it in that perspective, um, as as we as it is with boxing all the time, you're as good as your last fight. Um, you know, it, it is so fickle, the sport. It really does make me laugh how, you know, you think Tyson Fury, before the Ngannou fight, everybody was sad. Tyson Fury's the, the, the best of that. You know, no one's going to beat him. You know, Usyk, you know, blown up middleweight, blah, blah, blah. Uh, Joshua's written off. You know, Wilder was back on top. Tyson Fury, Wilder, number one and two. You think about it, before the Ngannou, Tyson Fury, that was people's perspective. Tyson Fury has an absolute nightmare against Ngano. Completely overlooks the fella, and um, Ngano looks great. So he's his credibility's risen. Tyson's dropped. Wilder's is dropped, and now uh, Anthony Joshua's is going strong again. It, it within a matter space of a few months. Um, it's just a very fickle sport, and it's quite funny when you do. You know, you 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 can't. Um, what's the? I'm trying to think of the right word here. Where. Uh, the the memory I suppose the memory bank of most f- boxing fans is very short. Um, you, you know, you, and Gano did a great job against Fury, but Fury was poor. He was he was nowhere near the levels we've seen him at before. Maybe it's because he is beginning to go on the slide now. I think it probably is a, a part of that, and the fact he overlooked him. So in a way, it's a good fight. But Ngano has got a bit of power, and if he lands something on Joshua, Joshua he can end for him quite quickly. So um, it, it's it's a tricky one because if Ngannou could knock Joshua out, I honestly believe he could. And if he does that, then he's going to find himself fighting for a world title within his third professional fight. And it's incredible. And I sort of, in a way, hope he does. I think that would be brilliant. If this guy can knock Joshua out, almost defeats Tyson Fury and then fights the winner of Fury Usyk. I mean, within three professional fights, that is an unbelievable statement for a fellow of his age. Um, but yeah, I think Tyson, you know, He's got to do the business against Uzi, but this is it's, it's an interesting one, Sean. I'm, I'm shocked, really. I, I am. I didn't think they would go down this route, but look, Joshua's in, he's almost in a, he's in a no-win situation because if he wins it, people expect him to win. If he gets knocked out, he's a, he's a fouled fighter again. So, yeah, I don't know. It's a potential banana skin. Um, Joshua looked great against Otto Rollin, but yeah, I mean, I don't know. I, I just don't know. If you're going on that performance of Joshua, he beats Ngannou. If you're going on a performance against other fighters, I think he becomes a bit of a crop, but um, yeah, it's, it's, a, it's the funny old one because they're Asian, didn't they? All these heavyweights as well. And you can see so many banana skins in the horizon. Um, I still think my man, 
I'm telling you now, I said it from day show, and I've always been battling these corner. Alexander Usyk's the best of them all. Well, only time is going to tell, and that will happen in a few weeks' time. Of course, we will be doing a big fight preview for that. It's an undisputed heavyweight title fight, Johnston. It's probably the only one we will ever get to do together as podcasters, and I think it will be a fantastic moment for us to be able to sit down and genuinely talk about an undisputed heavyweight title fight, something we've we've both dreamed about for for years. So it's going to be great. I just hope it really, really does happen and there is no hiccups, no problems, no injuries, and we get to sit down in a few weeks and we're able to really sit down and and, and analyse what potentially could be, uh, well, it is probably going to be a history-making moment, of course. So, yeah, I'm really looking forward to that. But that is pretty much it for this episode, guys. I really would love to hear what your thoughts are on the Joshua versus Nganu fight. Is it good? Is it bad? Is it a shrewd move business-wise? I'd love to hear what your thoughts are on that. Is O'Hara Davis done at world level? I'd love to hear your thoughts on that as well. And is Ishmael Barroso going to become a world champion? There's certainly some great talking points on the episode. I would love to hear from you. You can let us know at BTR Boxing Pod on Twitter, or you can follow us at BTR Boxing Podcast Network on Facebook, on Instagram. You can find us on TikTok. If you haven't subscribed to YouTube, you can do that as well. If you're listening on Spotify, leave a comment below. We really appreciate them. But that is pretty much it for this episode. It has been the Big Fight Reaction. Of course, we are going to be back a little bit later in the week with a Big Fight Preview for the big fight that I've been looking forward to for quite some time. That is, of course, Arta Paterbiev versus Callum Smith in the light heavyweight division. But for now, guys, thank you, as always, for listening to the Big Fight Reaction on the BTR Boxing Podcast Network. Podcast Network.